Hey everyone, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. My name is Matt Saxinger. I get to serve as head pastor here. Hey, we want to say happy Easter to you, and we're praying that this is going to be an incredible Easter no matter what. For some of you, this is the first time you've ever not been in church on an Easter Sunday, and I want to say to you that this is still going to be a great experience because it's not about us. It's not about where we are. It's about where Jesus is that he's resurrected. For some of you, this might be the first time you're ever joining us and checking out anything to do with church on Easter. Welcome. You're glad that we're, we're glad that you're with us. See, here's the deal. Like Easter is synonymous with resurrection in our minds. It's about the fact that Jesus came. He lived as a man. He was on earth for 33 years doing the things that God the Father wanted him to do. One of the things God the Father wanted him to do was to die in our place. But the good news of Easter is that death did not keep a hold on the Messiah. Jesus came back to life, which places him in an entirely unique role completely distinct and really it's an opportunity for us to make a decision is Jesus somebody who's figured out death does he have the answer to what happens when I stop breathing if he decided that death wasn't the end for him and he came back and rose again could it be the same for me see I love what Easter does is it calls us to make a decision is this something where God is and has done something or is this something where, no, it's just been made up? It calls us to make a decision. That's what the Bible does when it presents these things. It presents facts about who Jesus is and what he's done. And we're going to talk about some of those things today. But the one thing that I want to say up front that I don't think you can do is I don't think that you can just kind of spiritualize the resurrection of Jesus. I think it either happened or it didn't happen. I don't think you can come from the, the perspective that this just kind of happened in this metaphorical, symbolic way, almost like it's like, you know, they saw this image of Jesus. They had this vision of Jesus, kind of like this Simba, Mufasa, Lion King scene, scene where he, he sees him in a cloud. What the Bible does is it offers an account of a very physical resurrection of Jesus. The Messiah came back to life. He sat down and he talked with his followers. He taught them. He ate food with them. He even went for a walk with them. Everything he did was very physical. And what it's doing is saying that this happened. Jesus was dead. Now he's not anymore. And he's walking around. He's teaching and he's doing the things that he did before he died. In fact, at one part, there's even a moment where one of the disciples says, Jesus, is that really you? Jesus says, why don't you come on over? You can touch me. You can see I'm alive because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. See, Jesus is trying to say, and what the Bible's trying to say is that while he was dead, he's not dead anymore. And that's great news for those of us who believe. And it really presents everybody with this opportunity to say either it happened or it didn't happen. To treat it like it's just some sort of spiritual analogy would be like watching the evening news and saying, well, that traffic accident that, that was awful and, and took the lives of a lot of people, that was just a symbolic representation of all the tragedies in, in humanity. No, I don't think anybody's going to look at that and say, that that's the conclusion. It either happened or it didn't happen. I can get it can be one or the other, but what, what we're looking at with the Bible is the way it records it. It records it like it's fact, like it's news. What is it to you? Did it happen or didn't it happen? And, and if it happened, then it's not just a claim, it's actually a call. It's a call for you to look at it and to say, wow, there's something about this that's so incredibly unique that I owe 
all of my thought, my attention to figuring out that if it happened or not, and if it does happen, it calls me not to just be, to be aware of it, but it calls me to be invested in it. It calls me to find out about it. It calls me to get to know Jesus personally. That's what this does. It's a call to center your life around who Jesus Christ is, that he's not just some guy, but he's a guy that figured out death because he's God himself. Look, my hope for you as you watch this is not to necessarily persuade you intellectually and analytically that, that the resurrection of Jesus happened. I, I think you could look into that on your own. What I want to do is I, I want to more walk you through what I hope is an experience for you. I think God convinces us of his reality through a spiritual experience. And I, I hope and I pray that you have that in this time. That as we talk about the power and the love behind the resurrection of God and how it's not just for a bunch of people several thousand years ago, but for it's for you right now, I hope it becomes very real and very powerful for you. I don't think you should say, sorry, God, I wanted a more analytical approach for you to reach me. If God chose to reach you through a spiritual experience, I think that's powerful. And I think whether or not you like it, you got to deal with it. And there's a God who loves you and cares about you. See, I think there's a lot of pain in this world. And I think we try to fix that pain through all sorts of different things. I think we run to fixes. We, we run to things that we can watch to make us forget about the pain. We run to things that we can eat to make us forget about the pain. We, we run to things that, that we can buy or, or substances that we can take all as an effort to fill some of the emptiness inside of us. And I don't think we have to find fixes when there's a solution available. Psalm 107 and verse 9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. See, if this is not just this false claim, this made-up thing, if this is true and Jesus actually lived after he stopped breathing, then I think there's a part of us that goes, wow, maybe he can just not solve the problem of death, but he can solve the problem of why life is the way it is sometimes. What it is is a call. I've been using that phrase a couple of times because it's a call that shatters history. It's a call that shatters your routine. It's a call that shatters your, your agenda and your ambition in life. And it says, if this is true, then Jesus is somebody who can solve not just the problem of life after death, but he can solve the problems I face in life as well. Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and he was powerful enough to live, with, live for you. Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and he was powerful enough to live for you. If you answer his call, his hope, and his promises for you to have life after death. As we talk about that this reality this morning, I just want us to pause and pray and let God do something in our hearts. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we don't talk about something that was, we talk about something that is. It's interesting, Lord, we often talk about people who've died, but we speak about them in the present tense. We speak about them as if they're still with us, they're still a reality, and they still have thoughts and emotions and feelings. God, we think that way because you've wired us to feel eternity in our hearts. We think that way because there's a part of resurrection that connects with how you made us. I pray that that becomes clear and it becomes exciting. In your son's name we pray, amen. You know, one of the things that I realize about this, uh, this time that we have in life right now is this quarantine is like brand new for us. And we find ourselves thinking and saying things that we never thought we'd say before, never thought we'd think before. But even just like telling my kids, you know, hey, put your backpacks away. School's over. 
and it's mid-March, and I'm thinking, you know, wh what are the chances I ever would end up saying that? You know, uh, shopping. Who would ever thought you'd have to find like a secret black market channel for some for some toilet paper of all things? Or or how about like just how desperately we try to avoid the doctor's office? I mean, we're trying to keep our kids from going there for any reason. The other day, my kids were were out fishing. They're playing with some fishing hooks, and I honestly looked at them and said, "If one of you gets a hook in your finger, it's going to be there for a month." We're not going to the doctors right now. We, we, would never, we would never say this kind of stuff. Even just dealing with the chaos and the craziness of life at home day in, day out. And I, like I found myself saying the other day, hey, you cannot practice ninja moves on the dog. And I wasn't even talking to my kids. I was talking to my wife. That's how bad it's gotten. Look, we've all, no matter what, we've had plans changed. None of us has accounted for this, and none of us has thought, you know, e even if you were a prepper, you still didn't see it coming this way this time. Our plans have changed. Nobody thought this is what Easter would be like. Nobody thought this is, this is what springtime would be like. But here's the good news, that while our, ch our plans have changed, God's plans haven't. This has not interrupted what God's trying to do in this world to reach people, to help people feel his love and to find hope forever in him. This has not shifted his plans because with God there is no plan B. There's not. This didn't surprise him and he's, he's trying to come up with a new agenda and he's trying to rework things. No, if anything, his plan in this is to get your attention, to get your heart so you can see what life and what he is all about. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You might plan your course, but God establishes your steps. Our plans often change, and God's end up being better in the long run. You know, I was reading the, the account of, of the resurrection of Christ, and one of the passages that really stood out to me is the one that we want to talk about this morning. It's a passage where you've got the Jewish leaders. Jesus has just died, and, and, and it's the next day, and they want to make sure that he stays dead. They want to make sure nobody steals the body and, and spreads these rumors. And it's a crazy times because we're looking at the crucifixion has just happened. I mean, just happened the night before. They put Jesus in the tomb, and you've got all of his followers who are just wondering and searching for what's next. God, this isn't what we thought. I mean, six days ago, they had just been bowing down before him, singing and praying, praising him that Jesus is king forever, and now he's dead? And, and, and they're wondering what's going to happen. And while they wonder, and they're putting a pause on life, the leaders, the religious leaders, have no, no, no agenda to slow down. They want to do whatever they can to put Jesus in the rearview mirror. And so they remember this reality that Jesus had said he's going to resurrect, and they say, we're going to do whatever we can to stop that. So they're going to they're gonna go to the governor, and they're going to try and keep his body from being stolen. They want to keep his body in the grave. Well, look at what happens in Matthew 27 and verse 62. The next day, the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Man, I'll tell you what, 
it sounds like a good plan. If your plan is to stop grave robbers, it sounds like a good plan. They thought of it all the way through. We'll have a guard, we'll have them posted, we'll have the governor's approval. This is gonna be a difficult thing. This is gonna be an impossible thing for anybody to make it look like Jesus was resurrected. You know, if you look into the account, they had a lot of motivation for why they did what they did. I mean, historically, stopping a, a resurrection appearance, like stopping any glimpse of that, that would have been the most historically important event for them. They would have put every effort into stopping this because in their minds, Jesus was the most blasphemous, most religiously rebellious individual to ever walk the face of the earth. And so any cost to get him to, to not even look like he resurrected was worth it to them. So they go to Pilate, they appeal to his kind of selfish side and all of it, which, which everybody who talks to Pilate ends up doing. Um, and, and they go to him and they say, can we have your seal? Can we have the Roman seal of approval on this? Which in other words, what it meant was on this tombstone that was covering the tomb, they would hang a rope that had a clay symbol on it. And on that clay was impressed the seal of the Roman Empire. And then we'll throw in some Roman guards for good measure. And what it meant was, if you were going to break the seal, if you disobeyed the guards, you were going against the emperor of Rome himself. And if you did it, if you took the body, your body would end up on the other side of that tombstone. In their mind, that was a good plan. Pilate says, as secure as you know how. And that's as securely as they knew how to stop humans from doing something in that setting. The problem was it wasn't anything close enough to stopping God from what God was doing. Proverbs 21 and verse 30 says, There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. I mean, they had the wisdom, they had the plan, they had the insight to stop any person. But the problem is there's none of it that's going to succeed against gods. Roman soldiers and a stamp are a nice idea if you're just dealing with some run-of-the-mill people trying to rob a grave, but they're trying to interrupt the plans of God. And what happens is their efforts, their intentions, their stubbornness, all they do is to serve to tell a greater story of how much God is capable of. Their stubbornness, their resistance becomes the backdrop for God's miracle. Yeah, I find in life we tend to fight against what God wants. And maybe you're checking in with us, and this is all brand new to us, to you, and you're just wondering because this whole quarantine stuff has you thinking, like, what if it's real? Man, I, I love you. It is real. It is true. And the stubbornness of our hearts that wants to resist against God just because we don't like the idea of someone having say in our life and someone we've got to be responsible for or accountable to or somebody we've got to answer to, that stubbornness is part of God's plan one way or the other. Your stubbornness either serves as the backdrop for the miracles that God's do doing or your willingness can serve as the foreground for what God wants to do. Either way, you're gonna be part of the story. Stubbornness either shows how great his glory is or willingness shows how great his glory is. Both of them tell the same story. The only difference is what role you play in it. And man, I don't know about you, but in the times that I've lived against the flow of what God's doing, it's been exhausting. A couple years ago, my wife and uh, my father-in-law and I, we went kayaking. And uh, the put-in that we went to in the river uh, was great and it was convenient. But the place we wanted to go to was about a quarter mile, half a mile upriver. 
And so I had the great idea that, well, we'll just put in there and we'll paddle upstream and it won't be that, that difficult. And I don't know about you, but if you've, if you've never done that before, what I realized very quickly is when you paddle upriver, that is the definition of going nowhere fast. I mean, it is exhausting to try and travel any distance when you're paddling against the flow. Some of us in life have been going nowhere fast. And it's not because things circumstantially haven't been going our way or career-wise haven't been going our way. We're going nowhere fast because we've been going against what God's trying to do in this world. And man, if you think paddling up a river is exhausting, you have no idea compared to living against the current of what God's doing. By all means, I, I appeal to you. Man, don't live with stubbornness against God. Live with willingness in favor of him. Why not play, on a, why not play a role on a side that puts you on the winning side, a, a, a side that's capable of resurrection? Stubbornness or willingness both play a role in what God's doing, and they play a role in which side you end up on. By all means, there's wisdom that says, let's end up on the side that follows after what God wants to do in this world. If you think about it, why wouldn't the Jewish leaders have had an entirely different perspective of, of the events? Why not say, hey, we're going we're gonna to make sure that nobody steals this body, but we're also going to be sitting outside the tomb on the third day in a chair waiting for the best view of a resurrection if it happens. Like just in case, just in case this whole movement we're trying every way, which way to stop, just in case this is actually not just a, a movement of a guy, maybe this is mo a movement that God's behind, just in case, I, I want to see it. Like, I, I want to get to know this God who's capable of this. They're so afraid of a mock resurrection that they don't have any room in their hearts for a real one. And the sad thing is, their plan to get rid of what God might be trying to do here, to interrupt him, is a plan that interrupts something that has their very best intentions at heart. This, this is God doing something incredible, even for them. Because as much as they hated him, as much as they didn't like what he said or what he taught, if he lived after he died, there should be a part of him that says, whoa, wait a second, maybe that means something for me. Like maybe I have a role after the tomb. Maybe I can walk again. Maybe I can eat again. Maybe I can talk and, and, and have a good time with people after the tomb because there's a God who lives after the tomb. You, you know what this would be like? This would be like if a world-famous chef said he's going to make you your favorite meal and he's got the finest ingredients and you just happen to be starving. It'd be like you saying, no, and I'm going to do anything I can to stop you from making that meal. But it doesn't make sense. It's for your benefit. The resurrection is for you. It's to give you hope. The, the, idea, the idea to interrupt this would, would just be, it would be uh, you know, against what's, what, what we should desire. You think of the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for you. Maybe they, they got rid of a debt for you or, or may, may, maybe they saved you from even from dying physically. None of it compares to the kindness and generosity of God here. That he goes, look, you're dying and you're destined to die and you're going to die and be dead forever. Or I can come and I can change that and you can live forever. The kindness of God here. Look, there, if there's a part of you that doesn't want to believe this, I, mean, I really think you got Proverbs says a wise man learns the depths of their soul. Learn the depths of your soul right there. Why don't you want it to be true? The Jewish leaders would have been incredibly wise to sit down and say, why don't we want this to be true? Not even just why do we think it's not true, but why don't we want it to be true?
If you receive it, you receive endless grace and endless life from God. Why wouldn't you want that to be true? Romans 4 verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. Why wouldn't you want that to be true? You know, as a father, um, we, my wife and I, we try to, to do some things to instill certain values in our kids. We want them to have fun no matter what. We want them to be tough. Like if something goes wrong, if they get hurt, we, we want them to be tough. We want them to be able to deal with difficulty in life. You know, one of the things that's important to us is we want our kids to be thankful. So there's times where we'll stop them and we'll say, hey, did, did you appreciate that? You know, did you enjoy that? That person didn't have to give you that. Does that make you happy? Because what we want them to do is we want to train them to see reasons they should be thankful. We want them to stop just thinking about how things are for them and and say, wow, this is really great that it is this way. I'm thankful and I'm appreciative of it. Look, what could you ever dream of that would allow you to be more thankful and more appreciative than the fact that God himself died in your place? He took a death sentence and gave you the opportunity for life forever. And, and it's not even like you've got to earn it. Jesus goes, if you believe in me, you live after you die. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is recounting this all. And he goes, don't forget what's most important, that Jesus Christ died just like the scriptures predicted he would. And, and then he lived just like the scriptures predicted he would. And whoever believes in him has life forever with him. How, there, there's nothing Absolutely nothing that you could be more thankful for. The resurrection Easter is this call to live with an astounding sense of gratitude. I mean, you should wake up every morning and go, I'm thankful. Like, even if I'm going to die today, I'm going to live today. It should be the silver lining in every single tragedy of life. Romans 2 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's so, he's so kind. Did you enjoy that? Are, are you thankful for that? He didn't have to do that, did he? And we've got to train our hearts to be thankful. And that thankfulness, it, it leads us to change our attitude and to change our actions. The Bible has a word for that called repentance. You might have heard that in this old school religious sense. And look, let me tell you what it means. Repent means that you were doing one thing and now it's time to do another. That you thought one way and now it's time to think another. That you thought God was, was angry or he was distant and now you realize through it all he actually was close. You thought he was impatient, but he's patient. You thought he was somebody to forget and somebody to overlook, but now you realize he's not because he's been kind, because he's loved you. See, the resurrection is not just a false claim, it's a call. It's a call for you to say, no, he doesn't get overlooked. He doesn't get ignored. He gets loved. He gets pursued because he's followed, he's pursued me and he's loved me. You know, the resurrection is the call to live life swept up in the narrative that there's a creator who cares about you has compassion for you, and did everything possible to be with you. I love, I love the story of the resurrection because what it says is that God is capable of overcoming the thing that we fear the most, death itself. 
Matthew 28 says this, now after, the, now after the Sabbath, after that Saturday, at the dawning of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who came to view the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came up and rolled away the stone and sat down on it. Now his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the guards trembled from the fear of him and became like a dead man. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has been raised just as he said. And they couldn't account for that in their plans. And their plans fell short of, an, of considering what to do in the event that God was unstoppable and he was about to do something incredible. I don't know what your plans are in life. I bet they've been changed by all this. And I wonder if God hasn't just used it to get your attention in a drastic way to say, hey, there's a God who loved you enough to die for you and he's powerful enough to live for you. Let's pray. God, you're incredible. And I'm so, so thankful that you chose to override their plans. That their schemes and their wisdom and, and just the, the attempt to be clever had no impact. In fact, if they had any impact, it just served to show how great you are. And God, in our plans, in our journey, I pray, Lord, that, that our stubbornness would change and turn into willingness. That despair would turn into hope. And that fixes would turn into solutions. You're incredible. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.